welcome to another episode of All Things Considered Franchising, powered by ScottMilasFranchiseCoach.com. I am your host, Scott Scotty Milas, and uh, All Things Considered Franchising is a podcast dedicated to the entrepreneur, people researching and exploring business ownership, people who are interested in possibly entertaining and uh, investing in a franchise. Also, questions, Q&A on just business ownership in general. Uh, ScottMilasFranchiseCoach.com is an organization I started many, many years ago to help people uh, research and explore opportunities. We help you build a roadmap, a uh, business model, and then introduce you to the opportunities that potentially fit and help you through the validation uh, process so that you can make a validated decision and not an emotional decision. The services, costs, uh, expertise, education I provide are absolutely at no cost to my clients. Um, I am thrilled to have Beck Miller uh, on the podcast today because Beck Miller is Director of Franchise Development uh, with Launder Lab, one of my favorite brands uh, in my portfolio. It's just one of those brands I wish I could show to everybody. Beck, welcome to the show. I appreciate you having me. Yeah, you know, um, we've, we've worked together on a few projects. Um, and um, Launder Lab has really positioned itself uh, to kind of take off. It's on that. It, it, it's on the runway, uh, and I would say it's probably halfway down the runway now. And one of the most unique things about your organization is is that your ability not to bring people on the betting process to award franchises, but to support them and get them opened. Uh, your philosophy, I think, is more inclined to support our franchisees, get people open versus let's just award people and hope for the best. So uh, let's first take a little bit deeper dive into your background because it's an interesting background. You, you graduate um, uh, with a, a bachelor's degree in, um, I believe, economics, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, you uh, end up doing an internship at a major financial institution, and then you end up in franchising. So tell us a little bit about how that story or how that developed because um, – it, it, it's unique in a sense that you went from economics to franchising, although there is a tie-in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, so I uh, right after I graduated, I, I went to go work for a, a company that's now uh, been acquired by S&P Global, doing uh, financial analysis, financial consulting with publicly traded companies. And I hated it. It was really monotonous and unfulfilling and just not what I wanted to do for 20, 30 years. And very fortunately, around that same time, saw a, a good friend from college start up a, a company, which is our parent company, uh, right as I was looking for something else. And uh, it was just one of those things where I, I took a risk uh, and quit what I was doing, moved out uh, to Charlotte for no money and uh, joined a, an, an upstart uh, an upstart laundry company. And so uh, the rest is kind of history there. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because your background or, you know, is in economics and getting you into the franchising side is kind of unique in the sense, although you started almost similar to I, how I did in the franchising space, you started on the operations side and eventually started to wear multiple hats and got involved in multiple departments. But talk to us about that experience, understanding the operational side of a franchise system, a franchisor versus just jumping into the development side did it help you understand how franchising works better um you know kind of working with potential clients being able to speak the language share a little bit about that because i find that unique because a lot of people don't come out of operations they go right into development 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I think it's a huge benefit. Um, the one thing that can be a detractor is you can accidentally get too in like too in the weeds too quickly in some conversations. So I kind of have to reel myself back sometimes. But I, I view, it, view it as a huge benefit. Um, it's one of those things where being able to talk about the day to day, talk about the unit economics of the business at a detailed level, especially with an emerging brand, it really helps candidates make an educated decision. And whether that's to move forward with us or not, as long as they're making an educated decision that's best for them, that's what's best for the brand as well. That's interesting. You know, Ledger Lab is an interesting model, and I have to share a secret with you is that when I was 18, 19 years old, a very, very close friend of mine, still I, I regard him as a brother, had an interest in opening a laundromat. And back in those days, uh, you know, franchising, there was really no, there were no companies that were doing laun uh, laundromats as a franchise. It was more independent, but we referred to it as the quarters business. The mm -hmm. idea of being able to go into the store and empty a, into a bucket all these quarters. Um, the business model has really changed over the years. Maybe you can walk some of our listeners to that as what to expect in the laundromat business today versus it's just walking into a laundromat, plugging a couple of quarters in and washing and drying your clothes. Maybe explain the business model and then we can get into more about Laundry Lab as a franchise as well. Yeah, the business model is one that's really uh, historically very antiquated. Uh, it's dominated by mom and pops, really small stores. A lot of uh, retired doctors and lawyers came into the space and really just wanted to open it to hide cash from the government. And, and so what's right. that's created is this, <laughs> yeah, it's this industry. There's 20, 25,000 laundromats that are out there and they've made no reinvestment into the business at all over the last 20 or 30 years. They just have the same equipment they had when they opened, they put the bare minimum into it. And so it's created this opportunity combined with more sophisticated investors coming into the space, advancements in technology, and just this market that hasn't been disrupted ever really uh, is kind of the beginning of a, a real upward trend from an industry standpoint that, that we're excited to be at the forefront of. That's interesting because the stereotype of the business, the laundromat business, is that it goes into a low income, low middle income area because people don't have their own washers and dryers or they're renting or they're in an apartment complex where there is no facilities to wash and fold. Um, so you have to go out, spend you know an hour, two hours washing. But the industry philosophy has really changed because it's not so much the low income, middle income areas or people that don't have a washer and dryer. It's the entrepreneur now, the white collar, um, let's use the term yuppie in New York City that, you know, really just doesn't want to spend two hours at a laundromat washing their clothes. So it's drop off or pick it up, get it redelivered, washed and folded. Am I missing something there? I mean, because the, the, the basis of the business has changed. It's expanded its clientele. And of course, mm -hmm. it always being a need versus a want. People want, uh, people need clean clothes. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And when we go and we build stores, uh, we focus on situating the brick and mortar unit in those areas where they are lower income. They are communities where they don't have washers and dryers. That's going to do two things. One, that's really good 
downside protection from a revenue standpoint for you. Those, those customers are recession resistant, proven to be pandemic resistant. Like that is really good non-discretionary income. And you get a lot of tax advantages. There's opportunity zones, there's local municipality tax breaks for building in these lower income areas and investing in those communities. And then we can go out and acquire those higher income customers that the time savings are worth more than the money to them via the drop-off wash, dry, fold and the pickup and delivery accounts and things like that to maximize the utility of the four walls. Interesting. All right. So the model has changed a little bit. The need is still there. Uh, the service end of it has expanded from pickup to delivery. Um, any other type of work? I mean, when we think of laundromats, we think of uh, residential. Uh, are you involved? Are your franchisees getting involved in commercial, maybe uh, tablecloths, mm -hmm. uh, hospitals, uh, you know, any, any other industries that you're branching out to or seeing your franchisees branch out to for additional revenue sources? Yeah, there's a sizable uh, B2B opportunity for these groups that are, you know, small one, two, three location businesses, gyms, spas, salons, Airbnbs, things like that. A lot of these groups are too big to use an at-home washer and dryer that only holds 10 to 20 pounds of clothes, but they're also not big enough for a Centos or an Alsco or one of those. So they fall into this like middle ground that really doesn't have a good marketplace for it. And the Laundry Labs are, are perfect to bridge that gap for those clients. Interesting. Interesting. Let's take a little right turn here and just talk about your, your, the, the, the franchisee, the, uh, you mentioned or you used the word, and correct me if I'm wrong here, investor. Um, it, it would seem to me that if we're talking a million, million and a half, maybe approaching $2 million investment, it's, it, you're not seeing a lot of people who are looking to work eight to five or eight to eight. This is that investor model that um, semi-absentee, maybe it borders on the passive side. Tell us a little bit about what you're seeing or who you're seeing that is you know, calling you up and saying, I'm interested, the people that are investing in Laundry Lab. Tell us a little bit about more of the characteristics of what you're seeing as an investor, yeah, right? franchise. Most yeah, of our, right. Yeah. Most of our franchisees fall into one of three categories. Uh, the first one, we call them the entrepreneurial executives. They've had that really successful nine to five career. They've built up a really strong nest egg and they want to build something that they have equity in because they've worked for someone else for their whole career and they want to own their own business and start to get something that they can roll up and sell or pass down to their children, whatever it may be there. Uh, we then have the group in the middle uh, that are kind of like the budding franchisees. They own a small business. They own one or two other franchise brands, usually in food service, and they're looking to diversify out of food service into okay. another business. And then the multi-unit group. Uh, we have several of those that are large uh, McDonald's franchisees. We have large Planet Fitness franchisees, and they're just adding on to, the, you know, those are the groups that come in and buy 10 licenses and, and want to just build out with their operations team. What can, in those three categories, um, what can one expect as a franchisee? And I realize that there's a, a learning curve here, a build-up curve, I should say, not so much a learning curve because Laundry Lab does, play, uh, does provide a, a, an extensive training and support uh, structure to the franchisees. But when we look at the number of hours, I mean, you are a seven-day-a-week operation, correct? So what yes. can one expect as a franchisee for the hours that they're going to be putting in um, as a business owner. Uh, you know, there's this whole mystique today about 
semi-absentee and passive. You know, it's kind of like I want to write the check and have the franchise or run the business for me. Um, you know, it's a great thought, but it just doesn't want to happen that way. So what are we talking about if somebody as an investor coming in, their time and the number of employees that you're seeing on average for a laundry lab uh, facility? Yeah, so the core Laundry Lab model only needs one employee there from open to close. Most of our stores are 15 to 16 hours a day, so it's roughly two eight-hour shifts. So depending on how you structure your employees, you know, part-time, full-time, you really need a headcount of around five-ish. So it's a low headcount, low-skill business, easy to hire and train for. You do have churn that comes with that um, because it's not the higher-paid, super-skilled labor. So there is churn, but it's easy to replace. Uh, typically, when a store opens, the first few months of opening are going to be more hands-on. So whether you have you hire in a general manager to do that work for you or you have an operating partner, we would expect probably close to 20 hours a week at that point in time. Once that scales down, though, when your, your business is ramped up, it's more like kind of plateaued. 10 hours or less is what we shoot for for that role at that point. Okay. All right. Um, let's talk about some qualifications. Um, people that may be interested or listening office uh, audience. Uh, as a reminder, we're talking with Beck Miller, who's director of franchise uh, development for Laundry Lab, uh, probably one of the fastest growing uh, organizations in this category. Uh, superb, uh, superb operational support, support uh, development. Uh, really, kind of has their hands and uh, their fingers on the pulse of what it what it takes to help build a successful organization and making franchisees or helping franchisees be successful. I'm your host, Scotty Milas of All Things Considered Franchising. So, tell us a little bit about the the qualifications. Again, I mentioned in my opening that this is a big boy, big girl investment level. You mentioned, you know, uh, you're seeing the Planet Fitness, the McDonald's franchisees. Typically, these franchisees have a pretty good net worth and they have a pretty good liquidity. Um, what are your qualifications? Where are you seeing if somebody's interested, where should they really be financially? Yeah, our bare minimum for one license, uh, we want to see 1 million in net worth and roughly 500,000 in liquidity. Uh, most franchisees that are building out are putting 25% of the total project down. And when you're looking at, you know, like you said, 1.2, $1.5 million, you need to have good liquidity there for not only the initial project, but also the working capital to make sure you're getting to break even and you're comfortable there. Uh, that is just for one license though, right? When we get into these right. multi-unit conversations, uh, those do tear up. Okay. Now, as far as um, if somebody in the back of mind is saying, hey, look, I got that $1 million net worth, I got a half a million dollars liquidity. Um, a lot of thing, uh, one of the things that comes to mind for a lot of people who are investigating is financing. SBA, uh, I know there's a lot of equipment uh, associated with the laundry lab. So is there equipment financing, whether it's leasing or purchasing? Can you explain any of that to our audience at this point? Yeah, we have really advantageous financing through our manufacturer. So we use Electrolux equipment. Electrolux's uh, North American distribution arm is a company called LaundryLux. So through LaundryLux, they have direct financing. They'll finance uh, all of the equipment and we get a pretty steep discount on the equipment and they'll finance up to 90% of the MSRP of the equipment. So that'll actually give our candidates an extra two to $300,000 for construction and whatever else they may need. It'll get them up to probably about 65 to 70% loan to value on the total project with way less paperwork than the SBA. And they typically lend at prime plus 1.25%. So about 2% less than the SBA as well. 
Right. Interesting. Interesting. So let me kind of put you on the spot a little bit, Beckett. I mean, again, I'm just kind of trying to thinking like our audience is listening to now. Uh, you know, um, obviously it's a need, a need, not a want. People need clean clothes. They need to be able to wash clothes. Uh, you know, maybe their washer and dryer broke down, maybe, you know, whatever the circumstances may be. But one of the thoughts, and I, and I can just picture somebody driving in their car right now listening to this podcast and saying to themselves, heck, what do I need Laundry Lab for? I can do this myself. But from what I've learned about your business model and the things that go into opening a laundromat, and you mentioned mom and pops, there are a lot of I's to dot and T's to cross, not only on the, the build outside, but the location. So talk to us about the support levels, why somebody would go to a laundry, a laundry lab versus doing this on their own. Yeah, it's a great question. There's a lot of nuance to the industry that's not really clear if you're just looking at it at surface level. We've spent a lot of time, money and uh, effort on our territory mapping. So we understand all of the data behind who the customer is, which is really hard to do in a traditionally cash business, understanding who the customer is, where they're located, things that benefit the business, complementary businesses, all of that kind of stuff. We have a full in-house real estate and data science team to assist with everything on not only finding the site, but also negotiating it and putting the power of the franchisor behind the deal, the steep discounts on the equipment, the architects and engineers that really know what they're doing, because there are several things that can get really, really expensive really quickly if you don't do them the right way on the build out. And then the ongoing operations and maintenance. There's a lot of things in laundromats mm -hmm. that can be intimidating, right? When a machine goes out of order and your first instinct may be to call your technician. That technician is probably going to be $100 an hour with a four hour minimum. And it may be something that you could have really easily done yourself. You just didn't know how. Our support team creates training videos, have a full call line, all of those kinds of things to just continue making that operation uh, as easy as possible and saving you money on the back end. Right. Interesting. You know, I mentioned to this early in our conversation that, you know, uh, back many, many moons ago, and I'm dating myself, you know, this was referenced as a quarters business. It was just, you know, bags of quarters going to the bank. Uh, but the technology or technology has played an integral part in this industry kind of resurfacing. Uh, I think this industry has just kind of come out of its shell through technology, which has enabled more services. Can you talk about the technology, the back end of all this, and how that helps franchisees grow their business um, in a sense that, um, you know, versus if it was the traditional quarters business, the walk-in yeah. traffic, so to speak? Yeah, the technology is the thing that's made it uh, able to scale. Traditionally, it's been a business that's really hard to scale because there haven't been those economies of scale with all the cash that you mentioned. So all of our stores are what we call hybrid stores. Uh, we are of the mindset that it's a little bit too early to force customers to use an app because there are some customers who are unbanked or underbanked or don't trust using a debit right. or credit card on their phone, whatever it may be. So we still accept quarters in our stores, but we try to push everybody to the app. Our average uh, app utilization is about 55, 60% across the whole network. 
work, which is great. Uh, our highest store is about 80%. So we've seen really good adoption for that uh, that we're pleased with. But the backend technology tracks every quarter that goes into the machine, every app dollar that gets spent, uh, the float that comes in on the back end, every dollar that goes into your coin changer, every piece of revenue within the store is tracked and auditable. So it creates good controls for you as an owner to be able to understand that there's no fraud, waste and abuse from any of your staff and making sure that if a dollar comes in, it's going to make it to the bank. Interesting. Interesting. Um We've been talking to Beck Miller, Director of Franchising at Launder Lab. Um, Beck, um, interesting model. I'm always fascinated with it. Um, really kind of a outside category. You know, this isn't a typical Subway, McDonald's. I mean, you really, people have to think outside the box on this. Um, anything else you'd like to share about Launder Lab? Maybe tell us about, you know, if somebody's interested, best way to get in contact with you. Obviously, people can reach out to me and learn more about it. Um, and I know... Initially, uh, last year, you put franchise growth or uh, on development on hold because you had gotten to a point where, hey, I got to get people opened. Uh, 2024, you're slowly opening the door again. So anything else you want to share about the development? How do people learn more about Laundry Lab and, you know, uh, to that extent? Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate the time. So it's uh, you can check out our website at laundrolabfranchise.com. That's L-A-U-N-D-R-O-L-A-B franchise.com if you want to learn more there. You can also reach out to me directly at Beck, B-E-C-K, at laundrolab.com. It's uh, really exciting. You know, we're a young emerging brand. We've got 11 stores open now, should open about 20 more this year. We have availability in almost every major market. So if you're interested, feel free to reach out directly, and uh, I'd love to chat with you. The 13 registration states, uh, just off the, you know, a quick question. Are you in certain registration states or have you stayed away? Uh, what's yes. your plan there? Yeah, so we're in most of them. Uh, that being said, you know, it's renewal season. We're going to have, we're, we're at a bad time for yeah. that question. So we're going to have to reapply yep. at a lot of them. Um, but yes, we do. We operate via the exemption in Illinois and California. Uh, we are fully registered in New York. Uh, the only states that we're actively not awarding licenses in right now is Maryland, Virginia, and the Dakotas and Hawaii. Okay, good, good, good. Yeah, I, I, I call the uh, renewal season the golf season for franchise development <laughs> people because it right. gives people time to go out, you know, because, you, you know, legally you're not supposed to be talking about a franchise if you're not registered. So, uh, Beck, um, I appreciate you spending some time with us. Again, a fascinating brand, um, a, a, a kind of that big boy, big girl investment, but uh, the validation on the brand is very strong. The support levels um, and, and it's something that, uh, you know, someone should really consider if they're looking for that semi-absentee, eventually, you know, kind of passive, uh, scalable type business. But again, um, it does take some uh, some shekels to get involved in this business, as they say. So uh, but it's a great model. Uh, Beck, I, I, I want to thank you again for joining me on uh, All Things Considered Franchising. Uh, I'm your host, Scotty Milas. Uh, anybody who wants to get a hold of uh, me can uh, email me at scott at scottmilasfranchisecoach.com. You can also call me at 860-751-9126. Visit the allthingsconsideredfranchising.com website for all of our podcasts. Uh, we are now approaching, fast approaching, over uh, close to 70 uh, podcasts. So uh, we're very proud of that, and we'll continue to provide podcasts and information on business opportunities. Beck, thanks again. I, uh, I, I, I hope to get you back in another 6, 12 months uh, to give us an update. Yeah, looking forward to it. Thanks for having me.
All right, this is Scotty Milas signing off. Until next time. Bye.